Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cattleman's Call podcast. Lane Nordland, as always, happy to be with you here on the podcast platforms where you are tuning in from here today. And we've had a lot of shows over the past few weeks come up on the podcast topics, uh, mainly covered during the 2022 Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show. And today's conversation is coming to you during uh, uh, really that transition between winter and spring. A lot of folks are, uh, are taking care of spring calving out in the countryside. And we're actually bracing for a huge spring-winter snow. They're saying possibly a foot of snow here at our homestead. I'm hoping we actually get it. We're making sure that all the baby calves are taken care of, of course. But even a foot of wet spring snow, that's still not going to go very far when it comes to the severe drought conditions that we have across the West and other parts of the nation. But we will take any moisture that we can. And we all know that drought isn't going away with just one snowstorm. But we also know from last year and previous years' drought that Drought leaves pasture lands so vulnerable to weed infestations. And we all know it's critical for producers to stay ahead of weed troubles early in the season. Like I said, we're busy. We're calving. We're starting to think about how we are going to be able to manage our operations in the coming months. So uh, we're going to have some resources uh, to talk about here today that really go into depth about our forages and tools that are out there to help producers make it through times of drought or post-drought grazing seasons. And joining us Today is our friend Will Hatler. He's a field scientist with Corteva AgriScience. He's joining us from Meridian, Idaho. And uh, Will, how is your day going out in Idaho here today? As I described, it's a little cloudy and a little cold here in Montana. Yeah, first of all, Lane, thanks for having me on. Uh, Glad to be here. And, uh, you know, looking out the window here in Meridian, it's uh, it's warming up a little bit, sunny. Uh, We could use some moisture, though. I think there's a lot of parts of the country that uh, are in the same same shape. But, uh, you know, looking forward to uh, a good spring, hopefully get a little moisture here soon. And uh, Will, uh, as uh, as I mentioned, you are uh, a field scientist with Corteva AgriScience. Uh, what, what does this role entail and what's it like working with producers in your part of the nation, specifically in helping them look at their rangeland health? But uh, what are some of those key responsibilities you have? Sure. So basically a field scientist, I'm responsible for uh, research and development for herbicides in rangeland in the uh, the western U.S. is what I cover. And um, basically, I cover from the Rockies to the West Coast, about 11 states. And um, I do work a lot with producers uh, in person, uh, coming up with, with uh, weed control strategies. And uh, I work a lot with our range and pasture specialists. We have a number of those uh, throughout the, the region. Uh, that that are a little more, uh, you know, rancher facing than I am, but I, I certainly make it out to the field a lot um, and visit with folks. And uh, what what is your background? Uh, what what really uh, sparked your interest in, in looking at uh, uh, range science and and just uh, getting into uh, this line of work to help producers out in the countryside? 
So I, you know, I, I attended uh, college in, in far west Texas and uh, got a range degree out there and started working for Texas A&M Extension Service early on. Spent about 10 years with the Extension Service and um, did rangeland management there, working with producers uh, directly uh, on rangelands and, and uh, educational programs as well. And then I moved to industry around 2012 um, and have been with Corteva for uh, close to uh, nine years. So, um, yeah, I did crops for a little while, but mostly range and pasture, for, pasture throughout that entire time. Well, thanks for sharing a little bit about uh, your background and that expertise that you provide from that extension side to uh, really being a, a tool and uh, being out in the country face-to-face with producers, uh, uh, really seeing what uh, what we're going through in the countryside and and especially these uh, the western states that you do cover. Uh, this drought has just been unprecedented. And uh, for my family up here in Montana and so many, uh, not only in the West, but other parts of the nation, uh, drought has really just put an impact on, on producers' bottom lines, how they're managing their herds, the decisions that they're making at the kitchen table every single day. And uh, specifically like this year, the, the price of feed and just the tight hay supplies. I mean, we saw hay going anywhere from uh, 150 to $400 a ton, just depending on where you were trucking that in from this year. And obviously it's so important when you're out talking with producers that are going through some of these very challenging times. Why, why is it so important to always uh, really focus uh, on, on grazing and, and rangeland health uh, when, when we're going through times of drought. But also, why do we need to focus on our grazing acres when it's not a time of drought as well? Yeah, it's uh, like you said, it's a really tough time. A lot of tough decisions have to be made. Um, and outside of, of a rancher's herd, their forage resource is probably their, their most uh, valuable asset. And managing that resource, uh, you know, it's, it's probably the most economical source of feed you're going to get is your, your pasture grass. And we always say that ranchers are grass farmers, right? And so managing that grass both before, during, and after drought should be top of mind uh, always. And especially during drought, you know, grazing management uh, becomes especially key. And, you know, that includes rotational grazing, um, leaving the proper amount of stubble height after you leave a pasture. We have to keep in mind that the root reserves of those desirable grasses are extremely important. If we deplete deplete those root resources, then we will not have any above ground growth. And so general rule of thumb that you always hear is take half, leave half. But there are some more specific guidelines when it comes to uh, grass species and how much stubble height to leave. Like a cool season grass generally would be about four inches minimum stubble height. You want to pull cattle uh, before then. And then not turn them back in until they're around 10 inches, 10, 12 inches. Warm season grass, you need to leave a little bit more stubble height. And so 
you can rely on the take half, leave half, but it's really better to have a more specific and focused grazing plan. Um, so it starts there with, with grazing management and then monitoring as well, you know, uh, being out in the pasture and putting your eyes on what's going on and, and um, developing something that's written down, a drought management plan um, is extremely important. If you can put that together, because let's face it, if, if we're not in a drought, there's one on the horizon and we're in a drought in a lot of the country. And if we have a, a drought management plan on paper, certain trigger points where we pull cattle off, uh, figure out our carrying capacity as it relates to forage production. Um, and there are a lot of resources out there to help with that as well. But some of those things that, that we can put in place ahead of time help when drought comes around. So, well, what are some of the major obstacles that uh, producers face in, in the presence of drought when we're looking at the uh, having a, a plan in place, uh, a drought management plan that you've seen producers maybe have to adjust, be a little more flexible when we are actually trying to stick to that plan, especially when you have economics involved with that as well? Absolutely. Um well, it's hard to predict the, the weather, right? I mean, that's where it starts. We can never know what our precipitation is going to be, what our moisture year is going to look like. And so you have to build flexibility into, into any plan because things are likely to change. Um, obviously, growing grass depends on moisture. In the absence of moisture, you can't grow any grass. And so if, if we don't, have um let's say a backup plan you know it i know some ranchers can afford supplemental feeding more so than others but we have to keep in mind long-term uh conservation of our rangeland uh, and take a longer view of of forage protection forage production um, because if we deplete that forage resource in a drought year uh, if we, we can reach a tipping point that, you know, there's no, no coming back from that. You have to basically go in and reseed and, and do these high input management um, strategies that are very risky, very expensive, and um, really the worst case scenario. And so, yeah, planning and then being flexible really key. Now, Will, I always, especially in this show, I always uh, reference what I'm familiar with in my dad's operation that is up on Montana's High Line and uh, north central Montana. They've had about four years of continuous drought, and uh, we uh, liquidated almost the entire herd last fall just because of that. And of course, having rangeland health in mind uh, as a top priority, because we just, we didn't know if there was going to be any, if there was going to be any rain this year. And we, we want that land to, to be in the best uh, health condition that it can be when our moisture conditions come back. But what are some of those long-term impacts of drought on rangeland and pastures that folks maybe just, 
don't think about or they put at the back of their minds when it comes to having a management plan, but truly should be thinking about so we can have the healthiest soils and, and uh, range uh, grasses and forages out on those uh, pastures. What what are some of those things that people really need to think about that long-term impact of drought? Yeah, the long-term impact, you know, is what we call desertification of rangelands. And, um, you know, basically what, what that entails is uh, reduction of your grass cover or your soil cover period, whether it's grass or broadleaf plants or what have you. Um, when your cover, when your soil cover is reduced dramatically, you get into things like erosion problems. Um, your, your soil is impacted because it will not absorb moisture when you do get it. You get crusting of the soil once the, uh, the cover is removed. And then it just, it gets to a tipping point again, where there's no coming back uh, from it without some significant and expensive inputs. And, um, you know, things to look for out there that are gonna be indicators of this desertification process taking place are, are things like the, the soil crust. If you see these really uh, overly crusted soils, pedestaled plants, um, it, you know, see those bunch grasses out there that have a pedestal uh, appearance to them where the soil has eroded around them. That's an indication that you're getting excessive runoff when you do have a rain event and it's moving your, that, uh, valuable soil off the site. So, you know, there's some indicators out there that, that you can say, well, we may have a problem here and uh, we need to adjust management accordingly. So, as I mentioned, uh, a lot of Montana, multiple years of back-to-back -back drought and, and that latest drought monitor that just came out yesterday, there's a lot of dark red across uh, uh, the West, uh, in particular the region that you cover, and very concerning for folks. And what are, what are some of those considerations when we look at pasture and rangeland items for the folks out in the countryside? What, what are some considerations we really need to look at uh, in these areas of ongoing and severe drought uh, as uh, as we wrap up calving season and hopefully can turn out calves? What what are some of those things we need to be doing before? Or we even try to turn out right well so you know we've gotten a little bit of spring moisture um, and that's been needed you know, in my area and so things are greening up a little bit it can be tempting to um, to turn cattle out on a pasture as soon as it greens up and um, that's really not the way to go about it you know if we can if we can hold off and, and let those forage grasses get established in the spring and develop the root system a little bit more, um, then, then we can turn the cattle in later. Uh, I think, again, it's, it's tempting when, when you get a little bit of moisture uh, and things green up to, to take some action, but really letting the pasture rest following drought or during drought um, is key. So um, recovery takes time. And in order to recover, those pastures have to rest. And how about for uh, the folks that are 
they're looking at this drought monitor. The last few years, they, they've been able to squeak by with a little bit of moisture or, or plentiful moisture, but they see that uh, they have uh, the beginning of a, a drought starting to come on. What are some considerations that they should be thinking about as well? So having a, um, a stocking plan, being aware of your carrying capacity potential, if you've calculated your carrying capacity average, you know, based on your average rainfall, and then you can adjust it based on variations in that rainfall. If the drought monitor predicts, say, a 20% reduction in moisture for the year, if, if you've calculated perhaps what you can do with carrying capacity as it relates to that reduction in moisture, then you can be prepared and, and have an idea of how you may need to adjust your, your herd size. You know, it, it really pays off to plan for, for every uh, potential type of rainfall year because you're going to get it at some point, right? Now, uh, I, I drove from Denver up to uh, back home to Montana uh, this week, and it was interesting just to see which areas along, uh, especially in Wyoming, have moisture uh, up in the mountains and uh, snow that's still on the ground. And uh, uh, Sheridan and Buffalo, Wyoming, they received quite a bit of snow last week, and it, it looked really good to see snow on the ground there because I know they've been going through some some tougher conditions there. But, you know, there are producers out there that have received decent winter moisture as like you mentioned over in Idaho what are some considerations that producers should look for on that grazing land I, I know you mentioned and we all understand you got to give that land as much rest as possible but those that have received that moisture that the outlook is not quite as severe or, or, or bad on the drought uh, end of things what, what are things that folks should be considering early scouting of the pasture to identify some potential competitive plants out there that you may want to remove. Um, you want to give those forage grasses the best opportunity to take advantage of that spring moisture and those soil nutrients. And so when you've got undesirable competitive plants out there, um, removing those from the, from the situation can be very beneficial to give you the best start in the spring. And so scouting for weeds uh, and then taking action is one thing you can do. And then, um, you know, you need to be able to identify the, the species as well to have the proper prescription or, or control prescription for that, for that plant. So um, scouting for bare ground spots, you know, oftentimes when you're coming out of a drought, uh, you may have some bare spots out there and generally that's going to be filled by a broadleaf weed more so or more often than a desirable grass. And so identifying those potential problem spots and keeping an eye on them is, uh, is going to be important to set yourself up for a good spring. And weeds, we, we, every single rancher out there, we, we will continue to battle them. But of course, partnering with the folks uh, like yourself with Corteva, it's just one, uh, one opportunity that we have in, in getting our pasture lands as healthy as possible. But drought and, and wildfire, they're, they, they just provide those perfect uh, uh, growing conditions for weeds to really take hold. And uh, Will, are there certain weed species that are more drought tolerant that we have, are seeing pop up that folks maybe uh, aren't aware of? Maybe they've seen them before and they're starting to uh, come in even more. What, what are some of those key weeds that we're seeing uh, uh, with continued drought uh, really start to pop up and, and really be hard to manage? 
perennial weeds uh, are going to be more drought tolerant. They have a deeper root system and can access um, soil water uh, at, at a lower depth and, and make it through drought a little bit more easily. Um, things like leafy spurge, Canada thistle, uh, map weeds, things like that, you're probably going to notice a bit more in a drought. And, um, you know, the other piece of that is a lot of these noxious or, or undesirable broadleaf species are, they're called increasers. And that means that they, essentially the, the cattle will avoid them when there's desirable forage out there, thereby increasing the population of those undesirable plants uh, by selection. And so that can happen more so in a drought as your, your grass or your desirable forage is not replenished the only thing left out there is your undesirable broadleaf weeds. And so, yeah, that's, it's a problem, especially during drought. And the other piece of that is toxic plants. Um, you know, we can, we can exclude those um, by grazing preference. And then when your forage is gone, all that's left is your, your broadleaf plants and your toxic weeds and things like that. And, um, if we don't, if we don't get control of them, it becomes a problem. I know there's listeners out there that you're probably taking them back to that range science class. They probably had to take their freshman, sophomore year at a land grant university using, uh, terms like that. Maybe, maybe that's me. And, uh, I just don't want to admit that on air, but when we look at that though, um, obviously there are different weeds that uh, pop up when moisture comes back. What, what are some of those uh, species that folks should be watching, especially in areas that have got a little snow and moisture this winter and, uh, and things are starting to green up in our pastures? I would say the, the first ones that are likely to pop up are your small seeded um, broadleaf weeds that are shallower in the soil and then can can uh, accept that that early moisture quicker and germinate things like kochia um, russian thistle would be one uh, pig weeds uh, not necessarily a problem everywhere in our area but uh, that's that's a big one water hemp things like that that germinate easily and and um, take advantage of shallow soil mo moisture and will uh, cheatgrass? That's a, that's another uh, hot topic uh, in the countryside. And and you talk to the old boys that have been out on the ground for for many years, and they said it just keeps coming in and coming in. And you got guys that uh, do everything they can to management manage it. Uh, you got other guys that say, "Oh, it greens up though when it rains." <laughs> why, why is it important to manage uh, cheatgrass or try to manage cheatgrass the best you can? Yeah, cheatgrass. Um, you can get varying opinions on, on its value. Obviously it's become, um, you wouldn't call it native, obviously, but it's, it's sort of naturalized in a lot of the West and, and in some areas, that's all they have. That's the only grass that is available. And so some of those ranchers, um, they take what they get, right? So cheap grass for a short period of time in the spring um has nutritional value and the cattle will graze it and then you know of course it hardens off and then um becomes a fire hazard pretty shortly thereafter 
in those areas that haven't completely degraded and there are uh, remnant desirable um, native grasses, getting rid of the cheap grass actually is very beneficial because you know we've seen some large scale projects where uh, the, the native grasses will completely uh, re-inhabit the area and um, you can restore those. You know, if, it, if cheap grass is completely taken over an area, it's a reseeding situation if you get rid of the cheap grass. Um, so it, it depends on where you are and what your objective is, uh, what your input capacity is. But cheap grass is not the only one that, that we need to be aware of. Obviously, there's some other invasive grasses that are making a move, things like Medusa head, Ventanata, um, Japanese brome is another one. Yeah, all of these invasive winter annual grasses are concerning, and there's a lot of efforts going on to, uh, to manage those or restore areas where they're invading. So obviously, uh, being out in the countryside, talking over the hood of your pickup with uh, producers is just a, not only a great way to just build that relationship, but trust uh, with the producers that are working to manage their lands, keep them healthy and sustainable. So where can folks go for, for more resources to, to help craft a plan like we've been talking about, that drought management plan, and uh, really put those best practices uh, in, into concept? Uh, what, what, are some, what are some recommendations you have? How, how can you and your team at Corteva AgriScience help build that and, and uh, you know, point them in the right direction of these best uh, practices? Well, there are a lot of great resources out there. NRCS, uh, is great when it comes to grazing management. Um, a lot of knowledgeable folks there. Uh, extension service, you know, university extension folks, range specialists, outstanding folks there uh, that, that are willing to come out and help put grazing plans together. Uh, and then within Corteva, we have range and pasture specialists throughout the country. Again, very knowledgeable. Um, and especially when it comes to vegetation management, Wheat uh, management, things like that, um, we can we can help in that regard, and are happy to do so. Now we've talked a lot about drought conditions and uh, the impact drought has on our rangelands. But what are some tips that you have for our producers that are just kicked back saying, "Hey, I got grass. I'm going to be buying your calves and making them fat this year, and uh, really, really having a good time of it." Uh, what What are some uh, good tips that you have for folks that have good moisture, uh, but but just encouraging them to to really maximize that that profitability in their pasture as well. In those areas that you've got plenty of moisture, you can afford a little bit more in the way of inputs uh, for pasture management. And so soil fertility, you know, is, is something that can pay off when you've got plenty of moisture. Getting that soil test to determine what the fertility needs are and then going out and fertilizing can pay off. And then you, you really, uh, really need to pay attention to your weed control in those wetter areas as well. You're going to grow the weeds. And then, you know, we know that when you replace uh, or when you take out the weeds, you basically get a twofold return in grass growth. And so, um, again, you can have a lot more flexibility on your inputs when you've got the moisture to grow the grass. 
Um, it, it's just a nice, nice spot to be in as a rancher. <laughs> and for those folks um, that aren't in a good spot right now with, with drought uh, really impacting their, their herd size, their management, uh, what, what, let's again, we need to stress the importance of keeping that rangeland healthy, even during these difficult times. What, uh, what is one last just tip of information that you have for them to, to not uh, overlook the importance of uh, making sure that those grazing lands are taken care of, even, even during these difficult times? I think rangeland monitoring uh, probably has to start there. Um, measuring your forage production, your forage height, um, being out in the field and looking at what's going on and adjusting accordingly. Um, I think it all has to start there and it's, it's extremely important to monitor whether you're in drought or not, but especially during drought. Again, our guest today, uh, Will Hatler joining us uh, with Corteva AgriScience and Will. Uh, it's not fun to talk about drought. It's not tough to. It's tough to talk about the really hard decisions that producers have had to make and, and just trying to stay in business, keeping their herd healthy, keeping their their land and resources healthy as well. But uh, what what is one last uh, just a tip or, or just words of encouragement that you have for producers out there on, on why you and, and all the members of the Corteva AgriScience team are there for producers, not to, not to push a product, but to keep them in business? Well, everybody that I work with um, is in this business because they love it. Uh, most folks grew up on a ranch or grew up on a farm and it's in their blood and they wouldn't be doing anything else. And um, they connect personally with, with these ranchers and farmers uh, because they see their father or their uh, grandfather or the ranch they grew up on um, in the mirror, basically. And so I think, you know, every one of us is dedicated to, to helping um, ranchers, landowners, because it's, it's passion. It's a passion of ours. It's what we love to do. And um, again, that's why we do this job. Well, again, thank you so much to our friends at Corteva AgriScience for everything that they do from helping producers in the countryside, telling uh, producer's story and, and uh, helping bring uh, the Environmental Stewardship Award program to light into the public as well. And, and again, to Will Hatler uh, with Corteva and, and his team and, and keeping producers up and going. Uh, uh, Will, where can folks go to, to find uh, more uh, find out more about Corteva and how they can get in touch with a rep near them? Rangeandpasture.com would be the best uh, place to go. You can find a wealth of information on there about what we do and who we are and, and where, how you can find your closest uh, range and pasture specialist. Again, thank you so much to Will for joining us here today. And as he mentioned, check them out online and uh, they will continue to do so much for producers out in the countryside. That will do it for today's Cattleman's Call podcast. I'm your host, Lane Nordlund. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Nordland. For more information, visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.